something the podcast where I research something I'm curious about and then pass on the most interesting stuff to you I'm Melissa and I'm Everett so today we are talking about medical astrology yes we are and uh, (laughs) I am a person that really knew nothing about astrology before this okay do you know Um, anything about the word medical I think so. Significantly more than the word astrology. Okay. There you go. So you were a half expert already. No, I don't think that's how that works. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, knowing a lot about a word doesn't always mean you know enough about the topic to be called expert. Okay. Well, fine. Yeah. So I do research on Google, but I'm generally, you know... Did enough school to know what are somewhat reliable sources, and sure. that's uh, that's where we're at with my expert level. Not an expert. Okay. <laughs> Disclaimer. Um, if you know anything about astrology, you will already know the stuff I'm going to go through in my very basic beginner intro to astrology. Perfect. Um, you probably know much more than me about astrology still, if you already knew about astrology. But I'm just going to include a little bit. I really want to more focus on that, like, intersection of medicine and astrology. Sure. Um, and, like, how that relationship originated. It's uh, got, like, kind of a very long, fascinating uh, history, in my opinion. Very cool. So, how about you teach me something? Awesome. So, astrology, I don't want to say 101, because I'm probably not even teaching you enough to be 101. Mm, 99. Uh, <laughs> totally. Astrology 99. And this is Western astrology, we should point out. Okay. Things get different in different types of astrology. Sure. Um, so, there are seven constellations of the zodiac. Sure. This is something I think people know. Aries, Aquarius, Cancer, Capricorn, Gemini, Leo, Libra, Pisces, Sagittarius, Scorpio, Taurus, and Virgo. And I didn't even have to look those up. Good job. That's how extensive my... You already had expertise here, by the way. Yeah, that's, okay. that's it, though. That's it. That's all I knew about astrology. Sure. Okay. So, in astrology, you have three signs. Oh. You have your sun sign, your moon sign, and your rising sign or ascendant sign. I didn't know this. Okay. And together, they represent the multifaceted essence of who you are. So that your, you're not... Your core. You're not just one of them. You're a combination of three of them. Yeah, okay. they represent different things, but sure. I found the inconsistency on different uh, websites uh, very frustrating. So who knows what they represent about you, because different sources said different things. Like, one might be your outer self, and one is like your inner self, or public persona, or like okay. your, your joyfulness, or all, that, all And that things. wasn't like directly... They like, weren't the consistent. Outer, it wasn't consistent, okay. No, no. Um, in fact, the first three things said a different, all three said a different thing for the sun sign. And then I just, I, that I decided that that was not going to happen. It's not reliable. I'm not going to mention even what they're for, but. Okay. Yeah. So a sun sign is, uh, the zodiac sign, your star sign, your birth sign. It's the thing you probably already know about yourself. Okay. The, like the common one that's like when you're born, what yeah. month you're born in. Well, I guess not necessarily month because it segments. 
segments. And, it's yeah. where the sun is, like, positioned throughout the zodiac at the time of your birth. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so it's easy to calculate because the sun has that fixed path through the zodiac that sure. we know. Um, so all you need to know is your day of birth and you'll be able to know what your sun sign is. Um, in the same vein as that, your moon sign is where the moon was at the time of your birth. Okay. Um, however, the moon is moving much more quickly yeah. through the, zo- the zodiac. Um, so it's only in a particular sign for like two and a half days at a time compared to the sun, which is like a month at a time, right? Right. So when you're doing predictions based on sun signs, then you're doing this very broad, general, month-long prediction. So your moon sign is seen as more precise and accurate Hmm. because you're basing it on this short little period of time. You can be more specific. Okay. Um, You need to know your birth date, your place of birth, and exact time of birth to calculate your... Your moon sign, though. So uh, that makes sense, yeah. Because you're using more information, it's more accurate. Well, yeah, and where you are in the world, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then that leaves the, the ascendant sign or rising sign. So this is the astrological sign that's on the eastern horizon when you're born. So it's okay. the next one, like, coming up. Coming up. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's rising. That constellation yeah. is rising. But that would be a month-long one as well, or close to. N- no. Um, no. Really? No. Those, um, we're talking like, it, it spins through them in the yeah. span of a day, right? Like, it's constellations, right? Sure. And, I mean, not all of them are visible at a time. Okay. But the ones that are, like, spin through the sky in, like, a day, right? Yeah. But so I would you assume have to that know the time of your. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. The time. So okay. Yeah. Pardon so me. so a person might say that they were a Taurus with Virgo rising. I don't know. Because of the time they were born on the eastern horizon, that's when Taurus. The next one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I and understand. Virgo is coming up next after Taurus. Yeah. Um, so it's even more specific than the moon sign. Yeah, they all say different things about you. Though. Okay. Um, and then there are the planets. Which have different amounts of influence over us, depending on how quickly they move through the Zodiac. So it's believed that planets that move through the Zodiac more quickly, mm-hmm. so the ones closest to us, yeah, have more influence on us. More. Yeah. They the don't... other ones okay. stay in one area too long, for like 10 years, so they can't have a massive amount of influence over us, you see. Oh. Not like they spend a lot of time in, in, in your Zodiac and therefore they exude, or ex, like, put influence on you for a long period of time. No, that's, that's how I would have thought about it, but I could, I'm obviously wrong. No, that's not it. They, okay. Okay. I don't, I'm not an expert. I, I just wrote I just, down I just the have things, questions, that's all. And I probably can't answer them. Fair enough. I'm just telling you what's the thing okay. that they believe. Continue on. Okay. Um, there are houses. You've probably heard of this. Houses of the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just as there are 12 signs, there are 12 houses. Um, when you look at like an astrology chart. Tw- 12 signs? I thought there were seven. The first thing I said, there are 12 constellations of the Zodiac. Hmm. Okay. Remember when I said that? No. A few minutes ago. I'll rewind and, and catch up. You keep going. 
Don't worry. I know the people listening remember when I said that sure. five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> so an astrology chart is a circle. Yes. And that's, you know, representing the sun's um, ecliptic plane, like the orbit, mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, anyways, there are 12 wedges in, in the circle. The circle is divided into 12 wedges. Yeah. Okay. Those are the houses, those wedges. And um, they're numbered counterclockwise. And usually it's common that houses 1 through 6 are below the horizon and houses 7 through 12 are above the horizon. But that's not universal. And I would like to, again, complain about it. It's so different on every different source I checked for sure. how to number the houses. And when you go sign up for free astrology charts on the internet, you like have to choose the method that you want them to use to calculate your house and your different things. And it's like not okay, so all the same. So there's different flavors. That makes sense. But it's not just like this flavor has all these rules. It's just like everyone uses slightly different everything. Okay. Is what I would like to. Um, what I found very complicated. The whole thing is very complicated, but that was one of the most complicated things especially when things were contradictory sure but um anyways every sign naturally rules one house and um the houses go in the same order as the signs so i don't really know how houses and the signs are that different yeah it's very confusing to me um but depending on your chart you most likely have different signs in each house than that house's natural ruler not like yeah I'm it's on a very common. Face. I think what they're trying to say is it's very common to have a different sign in the house than the house's natural ruler sign. I don't know how or why, but that's just the fact. Okay. Yeah. I will just accept. Okay. So this is the example that one site gave, and they said this is the simplified example. Okay. Simple's good. I didn't find it that simple, but... I will, though, because you said so. Okay, here's the example. I have my moon in Aries. It's not me, by the way. I'm just reading what the website says. I have my moon in Aries in the eighth house. The eighth house is the house naturally ruled by Scorpio, the eighth sign of the zodiac. Therefore, my moon has the energy of both Aries and Scorpio. I don't really get the I have my moon in Aries in the eighth house. How is it in Aries if it's in the eighth house? Anyways, I don't really get any of it, but that's the example. Okay. Um... Okay, but okay, okay. So someone might have a sign in a in a house, but the the natural number of that house would dictate the like the the flavor, like the furnishings of the house, basically. Like it's mostly Aries, but there's some influence from Scorpio. Some people are laughing at us really hard right now because they understand astrology. And there's other people that are just as confused as us, but I don't have answers for you. Okay, fine. Don't know. Fine. So, there's also something called an aspect. I'm sure there is. And in astrology, an aspect is an angle that planets make to each other or, like, you know, to the moon or, like, well, I guess in astrology, the moon is a planet, so bad example. Okay, okay, okay. um, as well as angles they make to the ascendant, midheaven, descendant, lower midheaven, and any other point of interest. Anyways, I don't. I didn't even bother to talk about what all those things meant. There's a okay. lot of things. I will withhold um, my questions about what those are. I think the whole point is just angles. Okay. Angles between things. Like things in the sky. And and that's called aspect. Okay. 
Um, so as viewed from Earth, aspects are measured by the angular distance in degrees and minutes of ecliptic longitude between two points. Um, okay. Yeah. Ecli- uh, ecliptic yeah. longitude. Does that have to do with like the height of the moon or the sun in the sky? Sure. Like as the reference point? Your guess is as good as mine. Okay. Okay. So, here, again, here's the example they gave. Okay. If an astrologer creates a horoscope that shows the apparent positions of the celestial bodies at the time of someone's birth, so that's their natal chart. Okay. And the angular distance between Mars and Venus is 92 degrees ecliptic longitude. The chart is said to have the aspect, quote, Venus square Mars. Because it's almost 90 degrees. Wait, wait, wait. You got it. So it's Venus square Mars with an orb of two degrees. Meaning two degrees away from being an exact square. Square, you know. Sure. Nine degrees. So Venus square Mars, orb of two degrees. The more exact an aspect the stronger it is said to be in shaping your character or manifesting. And when you say exact, like closest to a right angle, like to to 90 degrees, like fewer number of orbs. They never specify, but I was assuming that. Okay. Um, The last thing I looked up was the word retrograde, because people always say it when they're like, not even Mars is in retrograde. I know, but it pretty much, it's like, it's just Mercury. It pretty much never happens. I think it's one of those, like, almost like a trope by now. When people talk about astrology, they just say retrograde. But anyways, I just wanted to know what it was. Sure. So, every few months from our vantage point on Earth, it looks like Mercury is, like, doing a loop backwards. Correct. In the yeah. sky. So, that's why I'm saying I think it's just Mercury. I see. Um, because Earth and Mercury are orbiting um, around the sun at such different rates, mm-hmm. and Mercury is close enough to kind of, like, really see. Yeah. Anyways, um, then it looks like it's going backwards. Right. Is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, and then they say Mercury's in retrograde. So, it, astrologers, though, like, that's a sign that things are, bad things are gonna happen. Oh, like, it, it's, it's, it's of, a bad It's a, yeah, it's a sign of maladies. Okay. Like, increased chance of miscommunication, for example, is a malady that Mercury being in retrograde can cause. Okay. I'm hoping it's not in retrograde right now, because I'm already struggling. But you can keep going. It's complicated, man. There's a lot to know. So, um, what is astrology, though? (laughs) I think I've defined some things, but astrology is a form of divination. Right. That makes sense. form of divination based on the assumption that the motions of the heavenly bodies influence us humans in different ways. Um, and astrologers believe that by interpreting the influence of the heavenly bodies, you can predict the future or um, unlock wellness secrets, personalized wellness secrets for yourself, like things like that. Okay. Um, so I'm going to get into the history because like I know for some people it's the best part. Sure. People like me, for example, but some other people as well. Okay. Yeah. So astrology originated in ancient Mesopotamia. Um, they kind of thought it was specifically like the movement of planets reflects the will of the gods. 
So the same will of the gods was then affecting our the health and well-being of the people. Sure. So but. not quite like the planets themselves were doing it, but the gods were doing both things almost simultaneously. Yeah, and in that kind of context, uh, that seems to make sense. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it. I don't know if it spread or was reborn or whatever, but very quickly we're finding astrological doctrine in, like, Greek and Roman, uh, Indian texts, Egyptian, Islamic mm-hmm. texts. Um, so Plato had a book called, well, he had more than one book, but one of one book was called, I'm going to say it wrong probably, but the Timaeus, and it was, like, loaded with amazing, uh, amazing things. I kind of list all the different things in it, but one of the things in it um, talked a lot about heavenly bodies and it kind of was the foundation of nature and mysticism going forward. Um, It's kind of talking about the divinity of the celestial bodies and the direct relationship between those heavenly bodies and life on earth. And um, so, yeah, it's not right, but it has a bunch of amazing things in it. Okay. And, Aristotle also kind of contributed to the development of the Western astrological theory, even though he wasn't really, he was kind of opposed to mysticism. Sure. But he proposed that the, okay, I'm just going to quote this because I didn't know how to rephrase this. The world of movements in the sublunary sphere, so beneath the orbit of the moon, was determined by the movements of the celestial sphere. So that's what he wrote, which was incorporated into, you know, Western astrology. Um, he wrote the celestial bodies were guided by divine influences as well. So still the gods are making the planets do things and then the planets are making us do things. Unclear. Okay. But there's a connection there. Yes. Um, and then throughout the Middle Ages, the term astronomy and astrology is, is used synonymously still. Um, ta- just talking about the stars, what we know about outer space. Okay. Um, the modern distinction that we now have where astronomy is like the science of stars and astrology is this art of divination. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of came about very gradually and it wasn't until very recently that we were really clearly making this distinction. But recently are you talking like 50s, 60s, 70s or earlier than that still or later than that? Um, I would say that one has a lot of relationship to... Uh, like, you know, how we didn't really learn anything about medicine at all until all of a sudden we invented, like, a microscope and things yeah. started happening. Right. It's the same kind of thing for as soon as we started inventing good, really good telescopes and good things, um, people started, like, even, we're going to talk about it, but even, like, in the 1600s, the scientists were starting to come out against this. Um, and so I'm sure the scientists themselves were going by astronomy pretty early. Okay. But it wasn't until... You know, astronomy was more of a popular science that it was like, we've got to separate, you know, you've got to get that things. separation between something that they didn't consider a science, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so medical astronomy, though, specifically also dates back to ancient times um, because mostly the, the planets do date back to ancient times. So, you know. Really? Yeah. They were around back then? Yeah, they were. Okay, so, very cool. So we were going to blame stuff on them, right? I mean... The thing is, well, the thing is that we just didn't have any better ideas. Sure. And we already had this thing where we studied... The humors. Well, that's, yeah, that's going to come up. You're not supposed to know that yet. Oh, sorry. We don't know about the humors. (laughs) We are humorless right now. 
People are probably very confused right now. How dare you? Probably. I'm not going to talk about that yet, people. Okay. Hold your horses. I will. It'll be soon, though. Um, So, (laughs) Hippocrates, by the way, was a a firm believer in medical astrology. Really? Okay. Definitely. Um, But medical astrology really shines in Europe, at least, is in, in, in the Middle Ages. Sure. Um, the belief that heavenly bodies influenced human affairs was very widespread at this time. Um, physicians were expected to use, like, astrological influences when they were treating patients. Um, they had to understand all the ways heavenly bodies could influence you if they hoped to treat you, right? So doctors had to learn astrology. Um, medical astrology, okay, I don't know how you say this word, but my guess is it's also called iatromathematics. Okay. That's a very old word for it because it's a very old thing. So iatromathematics is another word for it. So, you know, it just takes that logical assumption that if the heavenly bodies affect what we do in our futures, then they must also affect our health. Okay. Right. So it wasn't seen as a superstition, not at all. I mean, it was like what at the time linked medicine to the world of science and math to these people. Sure. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. So um, it was seen as part of the intellectual training and basis you needed for during your medical education. Right. Um, If you learn medicine in school, you would study medicine, logic, natural philosophy, and astrology. If you were a surgeon, which means you didn't go to school, you just apprenticed, Mm -hmm. you would still probably have studied two things, medicine and astrology. Interesting. Yeah. And physicians would have read the Latin text at the university, um, but even surgeons had uh, common astrology books to read. Okay. Yeah. Um, So... I would refer to them all episode. If I say doctor, physician, or medical astrologer, I'm really talking about the same thing. Like the overlap is huge at this for, for that time period. For yeah. these times, for for a long time, like you would basically go to your doctor and they would do your chart or read your chart if there was a specialist astrologer that they needed to use or something, um, and then they diagnose you based on that and give you a prescription like eat these foods, do these exercises, wear this stuff because of all the planets, you'll be healthier. <laughs> Okay. Um, we'll get into some specifics soon, but it's it's super complex. So I'm probably not going to dig too deep. Okay, but but this was like meant like you went to the doctor because you had a specific malady, and this would be like a prescription against it. This is a prescription. Okay. Yes. Um, physicians could also cast like to do, like do a retrospective horoscope to you know identify what the planets were like back at a certain time that a disease happened or an epidemic happened. For example, the outbreak of the bubonic plague in 1348 um, was attributed to, quote, a malign conjunction of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars. Mm-hmm. How dare they? Okay. It's interesting because, like, back in a time where, like, in a culture like the Greeks, where the various heavenly bodies were associated with various gods that had personalities and domains and stuff like that. It, this makes more sense in a, you know, monotheistic culture. I'm surprised that there's still the same stock in it. Oh, well, I I mean, 
if God makes the planets move, then he's still causing whatever happened to you if the planets do something to you. Okay. God's still in charge of things. But there is there is religious opposition to it, which we will talk about. Okay. Um, so, here's some stuff that's complicated. Okay. Okay. So, physicians had to incorporate the astrological concepts of the medicinal month and critical days into their plans for treatment of the patient. So, the concept of critical days actually goes back to Hippocrates who would frequently mark the number of days after the start of an illness on on which certain, like, signs appeared. The number of days that Aries, like, appeared or whatever since okay. the start of your illness. I don't know. Apparently that's an important concept. And so eventually a lot of mathematics and computations went into this um, involving, like, numerical relationships between calendar dates, critical days, the motions of the moon, favorable and unfavorable days... All yeah. of this stuff was put together in mathematical formulas for the medicinal month. And um, it's all part of astrological medicine. And it sounds so complicated. That would dictate what day, on which days you're supposed to take certain actions or like certain medications. What day should I have my surgery? Yeah. Okay. Should I get pregnant? What day should I do this? Like other things like that are part of it. Yes. Okay. Um. There's also this factor of of uncertainty because you need the exact moment of conception, the exact moment of birth, the on, exact moment of the onset of illness. And if you don't get these things, um, you're really unsure if well, your chart was right in the first place. And so both the complexity of things mm-hmm. and this uncertainty was what they would say when treatments didn't work. Like, right. It leaves you can't a, expect things to be 100%. It's just so complicated or like. And, and you didn't get the timing right. Yeah, yeah, we were like, we knew we always knew this was going to be a guess because we didn't know exactly when you were born. Because who knows those things, especially in like 1500. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but, so this is the part that you were so eagerly waiting for. How did the planets do anything to our, our health and bodies? Um, so, in this realm, where we're considering this a very legitimate science, mm-hmm. in this headspace... I'm wondering what the mechanism is by which a planet could affect a person. Sure. Okay. And they explained it like this, that it's really based on the four humors. Again. Okay. Still. Slash still. Yeah. Because they never really went away from that. Right. Um, Which they originated those four humors with the ancient Greeks as well. Yeah. So if you don't remember our four humors episode or if you never listened to it... Which is fine, by the way. We're not mad at you at all. Um, here's a quick rundown. Um, the human body is made of four humors based on the four elements. Air, water, earth, and fire. Mm-hmm. So air made the blood humor. Water made the humor phlegm. Earth made black bile. And fire made yellow bile. And each element slash humor also has particular attributes. Air is warm and wet. Water's cold and wet. Mm-hmm. Earth is cold and dry, and fire is hot and dry. Right. So it makes sense, yes. So a doctor practicing at this time would have been expected to diagnose a patient's humoral balance, the balance of those four humors, based on their appearance, their urine, and their horoscope. Okay. So all of those things help define what was called your complexion. And so, for example, 
A doctor could diagnose a patient with excess yellow bile if they had a choleric complexion. And that would include traits like leanness of body, constipation, hair black or dark auburn. Oh. Curled. Of course, follicles are too small. <laughs> Visages and skin red as fire or sallow. So red as fire or pale, I guess, would both. Okay. But they have to be dry. Um, little sleep. Mm-hmm. Dreams of fire. Dreams of fighting or anger. Wit sharp and quick. Hardy and fighting. Pulse swift and strange. Urine highly colored and clear or voice sharp. Highly colored and clear also confuses me, but yeah. you know. Um, all those things apparently were traits of a color complexion together. Okay. Yeah. And then a physician's goal would be to achieve eucrasia, which meant true balance. You know, the perfect balance of those four humors. Um, and so a big part of trying to balance the humors was to prescribe the right types of food, which we'll talk about in the treatment section. Um, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit first here because it's uh, very complicated. Sure. And quite interesting. So Avicenna, we'll talk about him again later. Persian physician Avicenna wrote, when something was eaten, it was turned in the stomach into something he called chyle. Not K-Y-L, but C-H-Y-L-E. Okay. Anyways, this was transported to the liver, where it was then turned into blood phlegm, black bile, or yellow bile. So this means many foods we think are healthy were actually only healthy for certain types of people based on their complexion. Right, their, their current imbalance. Pork was good for people with very robust systems, but if you had lesser hardiness, it would cause, quote, raw humors. Okay. Yeah. Um, but to add even more complexity to this matter, they thought the elements of a food could change depending on the season or the method of preparation. So, like, if meat was boiled, it was cooler than meat that had been roasted. And I don't mean temperature-wise, I mean... In attributes. Right. Okay. So, boiled meat would fall closer to the wet and, so water and earth humors. I don't know about water, but definitely cool. I don't know if the wet or dry factor changed. Well, but I thought water was cool and wet. And Water was, was, yes. So, So, if it's a cool meat now, it would push your humors towards earth and water. I don't know if it worked that way. Okay. It's like one of those scales where there's two separate scales yeah, yeah. and there's an independent cold and hot and independent wet and dry scales. Sure. I don't know how much so or, or if there had like... to be because it was bottled in water. That that might not be it at all. It could be the opposite of what you're thinking. Who knows? Okay. But that, that could have been like wet and cold then, maybe. Definitely. Okay. Definitely a possibility. Um... So, so, so even more than that, though, foods had different degrees of humors. Sure. Yeah, sure. So both quinces and mulberries, for example, are cold and dry foods. But quinces are second degree cold and dry. Mm-hmm. And mulberries are third degree. Mm. Millet was also second degree cold and dry and thought that it could dry out super perfluous humors. So very healthy for you, Millet. Um, anyways, that was a very long answer. When when the short answer is just that they thought celestial bodies affect our health because they influence our humors and bring them out of balance. 
And then a physician's job is to use astrology to help fix the perfect balance. Okay. Yeah. So it's like the basis of all medicine is the four humors and astrology helps you treat them. Okay. Fine. Um, but to me, this is the most interesting part of the podcast, which is why are we talking about these ancient Greek philosophies, like the humors and stuff? And that's going to lead into the explanation of like the history of medical anthropology or anthropology, hmm. astrology. Sure. Medical anthropology was actually a class I took in university. Yeah. It's different than this. A little bit. Except for I feel like it would, would cover topics it would, like this. Medical anthropology would have definitely talked about medical astrology. Anyways, so pretty much for until like the late 1700s, early 1800s, European medical philosophy is largely based on ancient Greek writings, as sad as that sounds to us now. Yeah. Um, so, but these Greek ideas of science and philosophy didn't come to Europe from Greece. Oh. Right? Like, they they didn't come well, from Greece. Of course, yeah. Directly. That's not how it went. Which I hadn't thought about. And so this was very interesting. So they come to Europe through Islamic scholars. Right. The ones who actually would have recorded it. So the Islamic era began in 622 CE. Um, and the religion and, you know, the military and politics of Arabic Muslims spread very rapidly throughout the Middle East. Between 637 and 670, uh, Islamic forces conquered modern-day Syria, Egypt, Persia, and large sections of Northwest Africa. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very short period of time. And while the Christian and Jewish minorities were treated, they were discriminated against, for sure, in some ways. But they, they were treated okay in that, in that there was mostly to they were tolerated, not persecuted, and they could explore professions and careers um, like medicine. Right. So eventually there was a medical school established in a place called Gundishapur, which is in modern-day Iran. And it was like a Judeo-Christian intellectual uh, hub. Um, and the medical tradition there in Gundishapur uh, was constructed from Persian, Greek, and possibly Chinese and Indian medical theories as well. And those were all, you know, very based in, influenced by astrology. Okay. Um, and the school was quite famous, actually, and produced doctors who were very well-respected throughout all of the Middle East. So there was no, like, you know, they're Christians or whatever. Like, everyone was like, these are good doctors. Okay. Um, and so when the Arab caliph, al-Mansur, becomes sick, so just... If you don't know, a caliph is the like with the chief Muslim ruler, mm -hmm. civil and political ruler. I mean, it, it, it or and a religious ruler, but it doesn't exist. This position doesn't exist anymore. It's been abolished. Right. So like head honcho. So he becomes sick and he requests the services of the head of this medical school, um, who is a Christian doctor named Gurgis Ibn Butisu. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying things great this episode. Um, so. He was pretty important. Sure. But the caliph was obviously very important as well. And he ends up recovering. Obviously, we don't That's know a good, for what reason. Yeah, but it's still a good sign or, or a good stepping stone for these doctors. Right. So doctor. soon, soon after this, Al-Mansur becomes a devoted follower of astrology, which makes historians think Al-Mansur must have believed astrology is what cured him. Right. 
So he appoints Gurgis Ibn Butisu as his court physician. And it was his interest in astrology which ended up, like, legitimizing it as a proper science now. Um, so he requests copies of Greek mathematical writings from the Byzantine emperor, who, even though he was Christian, was generous enough to send them over. So he sends over Euclid's works. Mm, yeah. Right. And um, Euclid is such an influential thinker. I think he deserves his own episode. Yeah. But quick Euclid summary is that he is one of the most influential people in the history of mathematics to this day. He is known as the father of geometry, and we still do use his ideas exactly as he wrote them mm -hmm. over 2,300 years later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's pretty cool. So Almanser initiates this translation project in which they just translate as many academic um, and philosophical scrolls as they can find. Um, physics, philosophy, writings of various Christian Jewish intellectuals, everything he could find he wants to learn. And he gets it all translated. Um, he recruited a bunch of Christians from Gundishapur to translate Syrian and Greek works. Um, he had Indian ambassadors translate astrological and some astronomical things from Sanskrit even. Um, so like his court scholars had access to a huge amount of information that wasn't accessible before. Right. Especially to the same people all at once, you know? Yeah, whereas those were siloed ideas before. Yeah. Now the scholars had access to a number of ideas of thought, or like uh, schools of thought. Right. Um, and so I'm uncertain. The next thing he does is hire this Jewish astrologer named Mashallah. And Mashallah's writings on astrology, well, and astronomy, were so important that even hundreds of years later, Copernicus was is still like referencing them. Um, and Mashallah advises on the basis of astrology that Almanser found the city of Baghdad. And Baghdad became the epicenter for, you know, all the academic scholarship, again, you know, learning and science and culture. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so all of this kind of allowed Almanser to create an intellectual awakening in the Islamic world that was kind of like what would happen in the Renaissance in Europe, but 700 years earlier than that. Right. Yeah. So then the Muslim world's knowledge of science and astrology has to come to Western Europe, right? Yeah. And so what happens is the Muslims, you know, conquest, occupy that kind of Iberian Peninsula era, like during the 7th and 8th century, they took over the almost all of like modern day Spain and they marched into France as well, where they eventually were stopped in 732 CE at the Battle of Tours. Tour. If it's French, you probably don't say the S. Tour. I would assume that's the case, yeah. So then for several hundred years, Muslims are controlling most of the Iberian Peninsula. Right. And they built or improve, I wasn't clear on it, the city of Toledo which is in present-day Spain and also mm -hmm. Ohio. Um, <laughs> Not the same one, though. <laughs> right. And so Toledo becomes a really prominent center for studying literature and the sciences. And then this knowledge is finally reintroduced to the West when the Spanish captured Toledo in 1085. And then this is like the Christian reconquest, the earlier part of the reconquest on the Iberian Peninsula. Um, and this knowledge spread really fast. There was not a lot of great knowledge in medieval Europe um, in, like, physics, astronomy, math, and medicine. 
in the 1140s, there was a scholar named Gerard of Cremona. And he goes to Toledo to study these materials from the Islamic scholars. And he becomes friends with a scholar named Galib the Mozarab. Anyways, I'm just going to call him Galib. Okay. Galib translated Islamic writings into Spanish, Castilian Spanish. And then Gerard of Cremona would then come translate that Spanish into Latin. Okay. Which was the language of the European academics. Right. Yeah. So this is how they translated. Well, a lot of pairs worked like this, where they would translate into one language and then another. Like a common between the two of them and then... Yes. Okay. Um, so that's how they translated things like Ptolemy, Euclid, Aristotle, and Plato, and Western Europe finally uh, re-understood them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so one of the most significant medical texts in medieval and Renaissance Europe ever was called the Canon of Medicine by, again, famous Persian physician Avicenna, who probably also deserves his own episode. Um, Gerard of Cremona translated and distributed that one. He also translated Galen's writings about the humors. Um, Galen was the prince of physicians and very, very important. And we still used his medical knowledge until, again, way too late. <laughs> 1700s, 1800s. Yeah. Um, but the theories and knowledge were also kind of the Islamic, still Islamic information, but they weren't only coming um, through Spain was also coming through Northern Africa as well, like across the Mediterranean into Italy. So two of the more prominent areas for the introduction of Greek and Arabic scholarship were two places called Salerno and Sicily. You probably heard of Sicily. Yeah, absolutely. They were both cities in modern-day Italy, and they were really close to Islamic North Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Salerno was already this established center of medical learning in Europe by about the 10th century. It actually had a kind of cool claim to fame is that it trained male practitioners and female physicians. Um, they were known as the women of Salerno. But before the like Greek and Arabic ideas came in, other people writing about the Salernite physicians said that they were skilled at healing but they weren't necessarily well versed in the theory of math, like medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the Greek and Arabic knowledge was introduced, the physicians became more focused on the academic aspects of their work, and which kind of transformed medicine into more of a a science. So it's like this conceptual shift from a skill or an art yeah. into a science. So a result of that conceptual shift is intended or not, and it's hard to believe it was completely unintended, but intended or not, women now are driven out of medicine because, you know, us silly women, yeah. you could have a skill, but you can't do science. Yeah. <laughs> science is for men only, but I, I would feel remiss if I didn't point out, though, that women were still expected to do all of the medicine in the private sphere in the homes and all of the care work and all of the dirty work as nurses, just, yeah, you know, of course, all that other stuff that burden was men were not still expected to lift a finger in the home to take care of anyone when they were sick. Even if they were a doctor, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, women were, there was actually laws that like women cannot be a doctor. Your garden can only have these plants in it. Your garden can only be this big. Okay, fine. You can be a doctor and your garden can grow whatever herbs you want, but you are not allowed to take money for it. Hmm. There. Yeah. That's kind of how the laws evolved in that. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so astrology and medicine were already kind of inseparable in these medical texts that were being translated, right? Um, humor was assumed to be done, or healing was assumed to be done by bringing the humors back into balance. Um, but we're at the religion thing now. Religion is an obstacle. Yeah. So there was a split in Christianity, even Catholicism, basically between, uh, the Catholic Christians in, like, Western Europe and the, like, Orthodox kind of Christians in the East. Yeah. So between Catholic and, like, just Christian. Anyways, the Eastern Christians did use astrology. They had that more incorporated. That was fine. Okay. Um, Catholic Christians, the Catholics had strictly, like, vigorously suppressed astrology for hundreds of years. A really important philosopher in the Catholic tradition um, was named St. Augustine. And St. Augustine was famous for his writings on free will. Okay. And what basically he argued, and the basis for, you know, the hundreds of years of suppressing astrology, um, was that it was demonic, first of all. But secondly, and more importantly, it threatened an individual's free will. Right. How could free will exist if we're destined to do these things? Or if, yes, if we're born a certain way and have no way to change our lot or change anything. Right. Which, like, I think that's kind of a good point. Yeah. I think he brings up a good point. The demonic, maybe maybe not so much. Sure, but the, you know, if our actions are influenced by planets, then are, are the actions of our own free will. Right. So this determinism, I feel like is what they called it, or something, um, that was the biggest opposition that the Catholic Church had to this, is that it just, it just couldn't work. Right. With the concepts that they had uh, had laid out. Well, divination in general, I assume, was fairly frowned upon. Yeah, probably for the same, both the same reasons. Yeah. Demonic and violates our free will. Yeah. Right. So Western physicians still wanted to use all this new information that they had found to cure people, but how could they without committing terrible sins, right? Well, a man named Daniel of Morley went to study under Gerard of Cremona in Toledo, and he finds the answer, apparently, to the dilemma. Mm. So he writes... He writes... He wrote it. Yeah. He wrote it. He wrote that <laughs> pagan knowledge was like the gold that the Jews had borrowed from the Egyptians before the Exodus. It was not holy, but it was useful. Okay. I don't understand how that's supposed to be logically convincing. No. Um, I feel like you could say that about anything you want to. Yeah. Hey, you're not supposed to eat chocolate. That's gluttony. Hey, it's not holy, but, you know. It works. It's useful. Yeah. Anyways, I feel like you just say that to excuse anything you do. Yeah. But apparently this was, this idea increased the acceptability of astrology. And huh. even of other pagan concepts. If they were useful. Sure. This okay. sounds more like moral philosophy, like utilitarianism. Yeah. If it has use, then go ahead and use it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, but, you know, it was still confusing. The official church position was unclear and volatile. Yeah, of and probably... So, okay. For example, in the early 1300s, an Italian astrologer um, named Cecco Descoli who was a lecturer at the University of... Now is it Bologna? Or do I have to say... Bologna? I don't know, actually. 
one of those. Okay. Bologna yeah, sounds. In Canadian English, we say bologna like a yeah. bunch of Canadians. <laughs> Not very Italian. Anyways, they burn him at the stake. Probably because oh. for his belief of astrological determinism. But the people that he worked with in astrology, like his peers and cohorts, they were not put to death. But they specifically wrote the planets were instruments of God's will. Yeah. Which was an idea found in Dante's famous poem, The Divine Comedy, which, by the way, he wrote right around the same time as that execution was happening. Oh, good for him. Anyways, that just kind of whole thing with the church doctrine but it's mostly okay unless maybe we want to get rid of you anyways and then maybe it's an issue of course just reminds me of the whole like um legalization of marijuana in the united states in which a state's going to legalize it but it's still not legal federally yeah so you're probably totally fine unless you really piss someone off and then they have they have a a mechanism to come at you right like those laws that are never enforced except for when someone's having a bad day of course yeah so it's at this time, the, you know, 1300s, 1400s, um, that astrology is really crossing over into wider popular culture. Um, for example, Chaucer, who you might have heard of as a famous 14th century author, he, um, quote, wove allegories of astrological lore into his famous book, The Canterbury Tales. Mm-hmm. Um, astrology at this time is when it's starting to kind of become practically required for academics to study. Um, and yeah, again, watch out for the church because we still don't know how we feel about that. Yeah. That seems dangerous. That part. Okay. Now we're back up to the middle ages. Let's talk about what a medical astrologer slash doctor of this time is going to do exactly. Um, so just to mention, for a very long time, and still at this time, astrology looked different because we hadn't identified as many celestial bodies as we have now. Um, the Europeans had only six known planets in, like, the Middle Ages. Uranus wasn't discovered until 1781, and Neptune was 1846. So right. we only have, I wanted to say, the five planets, but the moon counts as six. I see. Okay. Earth doesn't count, because Earth... You know, right. we're not charting the movements of Earth, so, yeah. Yeah, it's not in the same class. It's not a celestial body. At this time, we're not charting the movements of Earth. Yeah. I don't know how that works now, but okay, not at this time. Um, so, yeah, they would plot the other known planets, the sun, the moon, within each of the 12 houses of the zodiac at the time of your birth to get the natal chart. Um, they use that to diagnose the patient or just kind of a health prognosis. So, for example, Saturn was a planet that exerted the strongest forces on the Earth element. And so it was likely to influence a melancholic disposition if Saturn was prominent in your horoscope. Um, and the moon was associated with water. And so phlegm and phlegmatic personality traits would be influenced. So is this suggesting that your health, you would have chronic health issues or, or repeating health symptoms based on like you're saying like if saturn was in you know x part of your horoscope you were likely to have this type of chronic illness over time um if there was an imbalance in your humors this would cause it to manifest as this like if there was something wrong with with your humors and Saturn's influencing you in this way, then that's going to mean your head hurts. 
Okay. Yeah. Mars and Saturn were very negative influences. They're called the infortunes. Yeah. If the infortunes were in the wrong aspect to the moon when the patient gets sick, then you're going to have a serious illness or die. Yeah, but okay. So that seems to suggest that at the point of at the point of illness coming on is when okay for that time and for when you're born. Like they do charts for like the time the illness happens. I guess what I have a hard time is seeing the correlation between what is in a chart at the time of an illness versus their birth chart or natal chart. Oh, it's extremely complicated. I can't figure out like you'd have to like learn this. You'd have to go to school for this to figure this out. Okay. I'll go back to the to 1600s. Um, basically, the physicians believe the macrocosmic was reflected in the microcosmic. So, okay. what was occurring in the heavens was also occurring at the level of the human body. So, the patient's horoscope and planetary influence could be aligned with parts of the body affected by the house of the zodiac. Like, just... But, but okay. So, okay. But it, 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 if what was happening in the cosmos... Yes. Is reflected like what's happening in the macro is happening in the micro. Like I, I understand they 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 believe in that parallel. Then why is it that whatever is currently happening in the cosmos isn't like uh, causing a mass like health symptom or or disease at all times or like how, how is it that some people are immune to this and and yet only you know x number of people are, are 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 experiencing x symptoms once you put together a person's sun sign with their moon sign which includes the exact time place of their birth exactly okay. and their ascendant sign and something about the houses and the moon like it, when you put everything together you would get a more individualized. So basically thing. suggesting like the movement of celestial bodies at this time are going to affect this people this way. That's why they get sick and other people don't. Well, if their humors weren't out of balance, they wouldn't get sick. But yeah. if your humors are out of balance, this is the way in which you get sick. Your horoscope determines how you're going to get sick, basically. Okay. Let me let me explain, because the next part kind of explains that. So, Great. an important premise of medical astrology was that correspondent between the 12 zodiac signs and different parts of the human body. So, each house of the zodiac ruled different body parts. This was frequently drawn in medical texts. It was called the zodiac man. So, it's just a man standing there, and zodiac symbols are on different parts of his body. Okay. Okay. So Sounds have, similar to like chakras almost. Yeah. So you have Aries, and that's March to April, and it's, that sign's on the head. Okay. Then Taurus comes next, you know, April to May, and that's in your throat, and then Gemini's on your arms, Cancer's your chest, so as you go along, you go down all the way until Pisces at your feet. Hmm. Sure. But it's complicated, because <laughs> here we go. So... A sign was in control of more than, you know, just what you wrote in the diagram. For example, Aquarius, which is on there in the picture in, like, the lower leg area, it ruled your ankles, calves, tibias, and fibulas, but it also affected the patient's airway or the breath because it's an air sign. Um, since there were only five known other planets besides Earth, mm. Earth doesn't count, mm-hmm. 
Each planet had to rule more than one sign. So, signs ruled the body parts, but planets ruled the signs. And did the planets, like, co-rule, depending on where they were in the sky at any given time? Or, I guess not co-rule, but, like... Okay, so, for example, Venus rules both Libra and Taurus. But Libra would influence the kidneys and urine, and Taurus influences the neck and the shoulder. So the influences on your health would differ depending on which house that shared planet was positioned in. So yeah, yes, I think what you're oh, okay. Yes, but but it's asking. not like Venus would would cycle through a number of constellations or signs. It only rules two of them. It only rules two of them. That doesn't mean it's never in the other ones. It just visits sometimes. I mean, it orbits. Well, that's the thing I'm trying to get at. Like, I would assume that ruling it would mean that it's, like, within a constellation at a no, given time. No, that's not what it means. Okay, fine. How about you keep going? I'm not making any progress in my education here. <laughs> I'm sorry you're not learning anything. Yeah. It's not because this is overcomplicated. It's not. Okay. We're going to get it. Um, Libra also rules the skin, by the way. Kidneys, urine, and skin. To make things more complicated, certain systems like the skin are co-ruled by two signs. Mm. So, like, the skin was co-ruled by Capricorn. Capricorn and Libra. Capricorn also rules the knees, skeletal system, and joints. Fine. Yeah. So, here's some more examples. Cancer is ruled by the moon. It's the first water sign of the zodiac. And it's cold and moist. Not surprisingly. Yeah. Um, it was thought to rule the thoracic organs, but not the heart. Leo ruled the heart. So if a person has cancer as their zodiac sign, then any imbalance of their four humors would then start to cause problems in their thoracic organs. Okay. Does that start to make it a little clearer? Y- yes. Slightly. If that person has bad temper or headaches, or other head or brain issues, then that could be ascribed to the fact that the moon, which affects the emotional landscape, was in the volatile house of Aries, for instance. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't understand either. I'm just saying. I understand. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> which meant all the doctors had to be really excellent astronomers, obviously. Or astrolog- Well, astronomers, because they had to keep track of things and where they were. Yeah. And where the movements had been and will be. And know, you know, all the three parts of their patient's horoscope and the major nodes, which are mathematical points based on the relative positions of the sun and the moon and the planets. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then the doctors are going to combine all this astrological information, diagnosis, and humors and stuff. Anyways, they're going to make a prescription. So how do you treat a patient? Well, I mean, again... The chart has to tell you how different things, because the same charm is not going to do the same thing at any the same time for the same person. The yeah. treatments are just as individual as the chart, is what I'm trying to say. And the charts help you know the treatments. Um, so, oh, interestingly, the sun ruled the chronic diseases, by the way. Saturn was blamed for any melancholy. And the moon influenced the outcome of surgery, bleeding, purging, and acute illness. Fine. So yeah. surgeons, that's one of the reasons surgeons had to know astrology and consult the almanac because they had to do the surgery at the right time. Anyways, therapeutic bleeding 
was done, but the chart would tell you when to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to try to balance your humors, as I said, food was used and herbal cures. Um, plants were presumed to be under the influence of certain heavenly bodies as well. We can't change where the planets are, but we can change how much of a plant ruled by that heavenly body you eat. You consume. Uh, Yes. I mean, that part seems logical. Yeah. Um, so here's a good example. Say a patient was born under the sun sign Aries and they were suffering from anxiety and fever. Here is a prescription. They would be diagnosed as having too much collar, which is yellow bile. Mm -hmm. And the prescription would be bed rest, light clothing, preferably white or light blue in color. That's what I mean by light, like light colored clothing. Cooling baths and the juice of citrus fruits. These are cold and wet treatments to medicate the hot, dry conditions. Sure. Of an Aries with anxiety and fever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, in conclusion, this is extremely complicated, um, and it's still a thing. I mean, that part like, doesn't really not, surprise me. You might not think it would be, based on the fact that mm. we know medicine now. But this is still a thing. And uh, I'm going to... Touch on some interesting facts, but, you know, I might go on a little rant here. Sure. <laughs> it's okay that it's that astrology is a thing. I just start yeah, to get a little annoyed when, you know, people are getting built out of a bunch of money or, or getting hurt or that kind of thing. But um, basically, Western astrology started to get popular in China in the 1990s. Okay. And then it got more popular. And then, you know, it's China. There's a lot of people to pick yeah. up a trend. Yeah. Um, so they've kind of seen it as kind of more fun than their traditional Zodiac because it's new and exciting, you know, that kind of thing. Always so like better. the younger people, yeah. Um so the Chinese think it's exotic, whatever. It's become a little bit I don't want to say too much a part of society, but really ingrained in society to the fact that um a recent survey said four point three percent of college graduates in China had experienced discrimination while looking for a job based on their zodiac sign either their Western sign or their Chinese sign. So, like, on the Chinese version of Wikipedia, there's even an article um, just about job recruitment based on Western zodiac signs. So, Virgos, of all the signs, so that's if you're born between August 23rd and September 22nd, have a very rough time finding a job. They're described as perfectionists, and Virgo men in particular are considered to be too defensive. So, some Chinese employers actually go out of their way on job postings to say that, yes, Virgos are welcome to apply to. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, there was an online job posting that listed Scorpios, Capricorns, and Geminis preferred. And the reason given was people who fall under these three signs tend to be more persistent. They don't give up as easily. So, really, this is just to save time and make the hiring process more efficient. <laughs> um, so, okay. Starting in not that long ago, astrology and other kind of occult things really started to become more popular here as well. Um, Dr. Oz, that's Dr. Oz, the cardiothoracic surgeon, mm-hmm. has multiple times now insinuated astrology could somehow be used to help you make decisions about your health. Or your health. <laughs> okay. Um, he did tweet his opinion and also promotes a particular astrology guru 
So 2018, Dr. Oz tweeted this. For centuries, we have used astrological signs to examine our personality and how we interact with those around us. However, these signs may reveal a great deal about our health as well. Discover what your astrological sign can tell you about your health. And there is a link. And the link went to a slideshow. And it started out with, like, you know, Aries. And when an Aries feels blocked, this pent-up energy may appear in the form of migraines, sinus issues, or even jaw tension. And then it just goes on to the next signs and the next signs. And um, that tweet was deleted very shortly after it was published. But, um, you know, damage is done when someone popular like that that people think is an expert, starts promoting something. Uh, turns out this uh, guru, Rebecca Gordon, uh, this is the third time she'd appeared on his show. Oh, okay. So we are, lots of fair time. Dr. Oz is definitely legitimizing this. Yeah. And um, the good news is that Rebecca Gordon's web presence has really toned down the fake medicine stuff. Okay. When you go to her website now, um, if you're interested, it's just RebeccaGordonAstrology.com. You'll find... Uh, a lot of pictures of her. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. She, This lady likes a photo shoot. Anyways, um, there used to be things that were like medical consultation, medical astrology consultation, initial visit, like things that were all doctor language, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, now there's things still like free astrological body scan. There's like a million different courses you can buy at her astrology school. She offers some kind of certification in astrology. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Uncover your destiny using the nodes of the moon, for example. Uh, you can become a member of her Luminary League or her Cosmic Clinic. If you want one-on-one attention, consultation, you can sign up for Cosmic Coaching yeah. for something like 3000 US dollars a year. Oh. You meet for an hour once a month. Yeah. I mean, for that type of industry, I actually assume that's not that expensive. Yeah. I mean, in the price list of consultation with Rebecca is... Uh, 360 US dollars. But I would like to point out your initial consultation is not referred to as $360. It's investment starts at $360. Yeah, yeah. So I would say from a marketing language I would perspective, say it makes sense. I'm happy that the language has gone less medical and more like a life coach based yeah. on astrology. Um but the whole reason I went down this rabbit hole is that Dr. Oz sucks. And I just wanted to make sure everyone knows never listen to Dr. Oz, and that he's even testified before a Senate subcommittee on the stupid things he promotes. And he said, I just feel like it's my job to be a cheerleader and give people hope. When actually he did go to medical school and he does know the scientific methods, so he does know better than to promote things that there's no evidence for, which means he's doing it on purpose to be a grifter. Anyways, rant over. <laughs> COVID happened. Yeah. And that seems to have, like, spiked through the roof, the popularity of astrology and medical astrology again. Really? Um, you can, by the way, still take this as school somehow. Okay. I don't know what school is, but apparently it's a thing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, people really wanted some form of comfort. They wanted, Makes sense. Yeah. They wanted someone to tell them what to do. They wanted a change in their life. There's all those things happening, right? During yeah. lockdown, people quitting their jobs or people looking for a new direction. Like, there was a lot of that. And since some of the theories are since the general religiosity of, you know, people our age and younger has gone down so much that this is kind of like, oh, I really need something to guide me or whatever. Yeah. And this is kind of stepped in. The other factor is social media. Like, TikTok made, you know astrology huge again and then different instagram whatever different 
social media outlets meant that um, astrology influencers got this huge audience and now there's a lot more of them. The money is out of control. Like yeah. it's, it's become, it's really blossomed again. So, you know, you go through waves in history and this is definitely a huge peak revival at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all I kind of have to say on the topic. Um, I found, like I said, I found it super interesting, but super complicated and I can see why you would have to go to school to learn how it all works um yeah i don't want to say works well i don't i don't want to be rude but like i do believe this is a pseudoscience just to be clear but i also like i said i don't have an issue with it as long as you know you're not doing it over listening to a doctor you're not being scanned out of all your money like the little grandmas that go see the psychics and they take all their money but you know what i mean like if it's something that you like but it's not hurting you then great yeah. And that's kind of my position on the whole thing. But I thought the history was fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, don't know what our next episode's going to be. It's going to have to be a surprise. Yeah, no problem. We have an email address. We do. Teach me something for, which is the number four, the, the numeral, not the word, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear really anything from you. Just say hi or topic suggestion, corrections, comments, any of those those things. Um, once again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I hope you learned something new. Bye.